If I can get the, the point from last week uh, on the screen here, it goes, uh, it goes like this, and it's at the top of your worship guide. It says, receiving and resting in God's love, in God's love for us, gives us the spirit-empowered ability to love others as Christ has loved us. One more time, I'll say it. Receiving and resting in God's love for us gives us the spirit-empowered ability to love others as Christ has loved us. And so let's look at our text this morning. Romans chapter 13, we're looking in verses eight through 10. So follow along as I read. This is the word of God. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would do what only you can do and you would give us eyes to see and you would give us ears to hear your beautiful word this morning, the word of God that brings life to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's what you can expect today. We're going to quickly look at the text we're going to tie some things together that we, that we weren't able to do last week. And then we're going to spend the rest of our time really seeking to apply what it is that we've heard. To think through what it looks like to love other people, especially those that have hurt us. And so that's what we're going to do today, okay? So first, let's really focus in on this connection that Paul brings to the law and love. We see that Paul says, owe no one anything except to love each other. And last week you'll remember that we said that there, there are debts that we know that we have that we're obligated to pay. And so if you owe taxes, pay your taxes. If you owe the power bill, I mean the power company, pay your power bill. Pay them on time. Don't have any outstanding, uh, you know, where people that are waiting for your payment to come in. Like, do what you said you would do with your debt, okay? So owe no one anything didn't mean that we cannot have any kind of loans. It means be honorable with the loans that you have. Do what's right. But he said that there's a debt that we will always have. It will never have a balance of zero. And it is that we are indebted to love our neighbor. That we will always Oh, love to whoever is standing in front of us. Now that was, I thought, a very challenging statement from the Apostle Paul. And, you know, what we saw was the only way we can even begin to think about that and do that is by receiving and resting in God's love that he has for us. So that's really what we focused on last week. But now we're going to move into the next statement and it's, no, owe no one anything except to love each other. And here's the next part it says, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So what's the connection here with loving one another and the law? <clears throat> I'll remind you of a time when Jesus, he was, uh, you know, talking about the kingdom, the upside down kingdom that is his own. And he was proclaiming truth. And in the midst of that, you had religious leaders in the community pursuing him with questions and trying to test him. And in Matthew 22, we're told that one who was an expert of the law, he was a lawyer and a Pharisee, he approached Jesus and he says to test him, he said, hey, what is, what's the greatest commandment? Like of all the commandments, what's the greatest commandment? And he's desiring to catch him in something, to, to be able to call him a heretic. That's what he's wanting to do. 
But we're told that when he came up and he said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? We're told in verse 37 of Matthew 22, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said this, he said, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What he's saying is to truly love God and to love our neighbor would honor God and would do no wrong to another person. To love God and to love other people would walk right in line with the heart of the law. So if I love my neighbor, I will not break what we're referring to here, what Paul's referring to when he says law and what Jesus is talking about when he says the law and the prophets. What we're talking about is the 10 commandments. And what Jesus is saying is if you love God, you, you won't commit those first the first five. And if you love other people, you won't commit the, the second five. You, you won't steal. You know, you won't covet. You won't, uh, as we see there, you won't murder. You won't commit adultery. Uh, you won't do wrong to your neighbor if you love them. So therefore you'll walk right in the fulfillment of the law. Now, Here's what I want to do. I, I'm going to guess that most of you were able to make that connection, you know, before I did. Like you've heard enough to be like, okay, if we love God and we love our neighbor, you know, that, that's the fulfillment of the law. Like we get it. But I want to flip it on you real quick. What Paul is doing here is he, when he says that to love is to fulfill the law. What he's doing is pointing to our greatest failure that we've ever had. The greatest failure in our life. And that is our inability to love the way we ought to love. Because if I talked about the law, you would say, well, all of us have broken the law. I mean, that was very clear as we've studied the book of Romans. All of us have broken the law. But if the law is summed up, if the law is fulfilled in loving others, if as Jesus said that on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, then what we see is this, is our greatest failure is our inability to love the way we ought to. When we talk about loving our neighbor, we have to understand that receiving and resting in God's love for us will give us, and if you highlight this middle part, this is the key today, will give us the spirit-empowered ability to love others as Christ has loved us. The thing that was very unnatural for us to do and it was also impossible. All of us know and are highly connected to our inability to love the way we ought to in the flesh. We will not and we cannot do it. On the night Jesus was arrested, you'll remember he was around the table with his disciples. And he said a very shocking statement. It's John 13, 34, and 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? You will keep my commandments. John 15, verse 12 and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life 
for his friends. Why, why am I telling you this? It's because we have to understand that our very Christianity is summed up in the fact that God loved us and now we are called to love one another. We're called to love our neighbor. The commandment that we have is this, that you love people as I have loved you. See, when Jesus said stuff like this, this shook up the earthly kingdom because this is a statement that comes from another kingdom from an upside down kind of kingdom that says that in my kingdom, here's your commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, all the religious people, you could imagine all of the, but they, they started saying, but that's, that's not true. He is speaking against the law. Like the whole existence of our faith is tied to this Mosaic law. Jesus says that entire Mosaic law points to the beauty of my gospel. The entire Mosaic law points you to your greatest failure and to your only hope. Your greatest failure that you didn't live according to the law. You didn't love the way you ought. But look how I have loved you. Now receive and rest in my love. Receive my spirit, the Holy Spirit, and receive the power necessary to be able to love as I have loved you. See, this connection to the law makes so much sense. This, this was Paul saying this for numerous reasons. One was to identify with Jesus who spoke this way, but also probably to hush the crowd for saying, this is cheap. This is some cheap faith. All we're doing is love one another. Paul saying to love the Lord and to love one another. It's the very heart of God and fulfills the demands of the law. So what we want to do the rest of our time is we want to begin to ask in light of, I mean, the, the primary calling that we have is to love other people. Like it's to love God and out of the overflow of ultimately the love that he has for us, we then love others not just those in the church, not just the one and others, but we love our neighbor, which is anyone and everyone. And so for the rest of our time today, I want us to think through what this calling is and what it means. Like, what does it mean to love? We wanna see what is love? What is it not? And what does it do? What love is, what love is not? and what love does. And to do this, we're going to use a gift from God himself, and that is 1 Corinthians 13. And so if you will, go ahead and flip to 1 Corinthians 13, and we will be all over the place, but kind of keep your, keep your main spot there, and then uh, everything else, just listen very closely. <clears throat> Our culture, and really, really every part of our lives uh, try to speak into the question about what is love. And we have the option of either answering it as given from God to us in the Bible or answering some other way. So we either have a right theological answer to what love is or we have a wrong one. We believe that the right answer for this is found in the word of God. It's found in the Bible. And so we want to do when we're defining love, I don't want to give just some random statements. I don't want to try to put together some creative definition. What we want to do is we want to look at what the Bible gives us in response to the question, what love is. 
The very first statement I think that has to be made is what was already read to us as we stood together and Pastor Keith read God's word over us. And it was this, is that anytime we talk about love, we have to understand that love is not just a what, but love is a who. That God is love. The God of the Bible is love. If we miss this, we really miss it all. The God of the Bible is love. His very essence is love. Looking back at 1 John 4, we read this again. This helps us in, you know, if we're gonna ask the question what love is, we have to read this. We're told, beloved, let us love one another, which is the call that we're talking about today. We're to love other people. For love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Listen, remember, receiving and resting in God's love for us is gonna give us the spirit-empowered ability to love others as Christ has loved us. And so anytime we talk about what love is, we have to see that love is God. God is love. God defines what love is. Love comes from God. And so when it's right for me, when I'm doing a, you know, officiating a wedding for me to say the love that you two, I've sat on this stage many times, the love that you two have for each other, it is from God himself. That's true. See, what we know about love and everything that we know about love that is true, it is directly from God himself. So what is love? Well, God is love. But how can we begin to wrap our mind around that? How can we begin to feel something about that? How can we understand this enough for us to respond and you know, go live a life of his love? He says, well, you wanna know it, you wanna see it, you wanna be able to put your hands on it and wrap your mind around it, look at the cross. And we talked about that last week, but, but you wanna see the greatest picture of love. You wanna see the greatest act of love. You wanna see what it looks like for God to reach out in love in the greatest way. It's on the cross where the son of God, God himself died in the place of sinners. The greatest picture of love, the greatest act of love. It's not Romeo and Juliet. It's not your favorite love story that you're watching. It's not the, the show that you're catching up on on Netflix right now. Like those, those are all in their greatest shadows. The, the greatest power they have is to point us to not a shadow, but the substance, which is God himself loving us. All other love flows from him. It comes from him, okay? So when we say love, we, we have to see it in the context of who God is and what God does, how he loves. First John three, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Verse 11 in chapter three, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Verse 16 of chapter three, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone sees the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Wow, what a bold statement. So as we study about what love is and we see that the clearest 
way to understand what love is is to see that God is love and that love flows from God. And it's seen most clearly in his work of redemption, seen on his son dying in our place, the place of sinners. If we see that, then our most basic spiritual response to that is to love other people. Let's keep going. What I want us to do now is seek by God's grace and power not to overwhelm you or oversimplify something that's impossible in the flesh. And instead, somehow right in the middle, just walk you through, shepherd you through God's word to really the most important application that we could ever talk about in this room. And it's how to not just have received God's love, but to now live in response to his love by loving others. It's our primary calling in this life. The command that the world will know us by, that we love one another as Christ has loved us. All right, we're there. First Corinthians 13. Be there, open up, let's read. Let's look at and let this kind of guide us this morning to what love is, what love is not, and what love does. What love does. Okay, so here we go. Let me, I told you to flip there and I didn't flip there, so I gotta get there now. First Corinthians 13, is it still in the same place? It sure is, there it is, all right. Verse four, love is patient and it's kind. Love is patient and love is kind. So we are called to have received the love of God, to recognize his patience with us, to recognize his kindness towards us. And now we are to be patient and kind with other people. How are you doing on that? Be patient and kind. Now I just wanna say, this does not mean be patient and kind with people who are patient and kind to you. I mean, be patient and kind to them as well. But the difficulty of this is that that's not the way or the context that we should understand this in. It's be patient and kind with people who are going to act in such a way that do not demand patience and they do not lead us in the flesh to ever do anything but be unkind. See, we're not talking about an earthly kingdom. We're talking about an upside down kingdom, a kingdom where God reigns and where God rules, a kingdom that will one day rest here fully on this earth. It's a kingdom that doesn't make sense to the natural man and it's not, it's not even possible for us to live under the rule of God in the flesh. We can't do it. To be patient and kind not just to those who are patient and kind to you, but to anyone and everyone. How are you patient and kind to someone that's hurt you? How are you patient and kind to someone who comes against you? How are we patient and kind to people who just flat out annoy us? Receiving and resting in God's love for us will give us the spirit empowered ability to be patient and to be kind as God in Christ has been patient and kind to us. When we talk about love is, I think it's important to state this and not oversimplify it. And I'll tell you how we could do that in just a minute. But is to make this statement, love is a choice. We don't think about it that way, do we? We think about love as a feeling. I was in love, but now I'm not. 
Now I'm not in love anymore. We hear things in our culture like I fell out of love. We think about love almost only connected to a romantic relationship, which still involves, by the way, uh, if you're married today, vows that we're choosing, not feeling. I choose to love you. That's what you vow to. There's much choice and intentionality that comes when we talk about love. I choose love. Now, I told you that I didn't want to oversimplify it. And here's what I mean by that. There's very few things more pagan than if I told you we're called to love others. Now, everyone in the room make the choice to go and, and love. Just go love. It's a choice. It's not, it's not like a feeling. It's not just a feeling. Now, sometimes we have great feelings. I love, I, I have great feelings for my wife and I choose to love her. Uh, but here's the thing. I'm not gonna call you and say, hey, I know how to pastor you. Everybody, just make the right choice. Just love. I can't do that any more than I can look at you and just say, have peace. Goodness, will you just have peace right now? Can you not have joy? Suck it up and have joy. Like just be self-controlled. Just be gentle. See, none of the fruits of the spirit can we just say, yeah, just go do it. Can I tell you why? Because that doesn't work in the flesh. It can't work in the flesh. Our greatest failure was that we couldn't love the way we ought to love. But God has loved us perfectly. And his love for us not only gives us an example of love to respond to, but he gives us the power. He gives us himself the God who is love now dwells in the lives and the hearts of those who have received Christ Jesus. And we now have the spirit-empowered ability to choose to love. So church, Colby, <laughs> I have to speak to myself. We are called by God to choose to love people because God chose to love us. What is love? First Corinthians 13 says, love is patient and love is kind. It's not just a choice. It's a spirit empowered ability to make the choice to love. It's an overflow of love. It's a choice that requires faith more than feelings. It's a choice that requires faith more than feelings. It flows from the truth that God chose to love us. Because of this, we can choose to be patient with other people because God chose to be patient with us. We can choose to show grace because God has shown grace to us. We can choose to have mercy because God has had mercy on us. We can choose to welcome people into the family because God has chosen to welcome us into his. We can choose to get into somebody else's mess because God has chosen to get into our mess. We can choose church to forgive because God has chosen to forgive us in Christ. What is love? Love is patient and love is kind. Love is not just feelings, good grief, no. It's love is a choice that flows from faith and that flows from the love that God has for us. It's a choice that's not possible and it, make no, and it makes no sense to the natural man, but to us who have experienced his love and have his spirit, we can love our neighbor as ourself. So what love is, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient and love is kind. Secondly, let's think about this. What, 
what is love not? I, I first thought this was a very odd way to discuss love. In fact, in Romans 13, I found it a bit odd that the way that Paul discusses loving our neighbor is he talks about things that we that we're not to do. And he even makes the phrase, love does no wrong to his neighbor. It just seems strange. Like, why would we talk about and why would we mainly focus on these things? And I, I would say this, we have to understand not just what love is, but what love is not. And when we look at the fulfillment of the law, we understand that many of the laws and many of the, or many of the commandments are things not to do. Like, don't steal. Like, if you love, you will not do that. So love is not stealing from your neighbor. Love is not coveting what your neighbor has. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love does not envy or boast. What is love not? It's not envy. It's not boasting. James talks about this in uh, chapter three of his, uh, of James, of the book of James, verses 13 through 18. I'll, I'll read it for you. He said, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy, and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be falseful to the, and false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but listen what he says about it. He says it's earthly, unspiritual, and it's demonic. <laughs> I don't know about you, I don't usually think of envy that way. I don't usually think about jealousy in that way. I don't know if you've ever struggled with jealousy. I know we, we have some, with, with four kiddos in the house, we're, we're struggling with it a little bit now. We're gonna to continue to struggle with it. When the Bible talks about jealousy, it doesn't say stuff like, man, it's not a good thing. It's a little bad. It says it's earthly, unspiritual, and it's demonic. Love is none of those things. He says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every kind of vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. We have to think, does our lives reflect this? Does it reflect that kind of culture, those kind of values? Do people walk away from us thinking those things? pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere? Or do they walk away from us sensing jealousy, bitterness, hatred, ungodliness? I won't certainly go any deeper in this, but when people read what we write, what do they walk away with? Do they walk away with this clear view into our lives that says we love our neighbor or do they walk away with we judge our neighbor? Love does no wrong to a neighbor. First Corinthians 13, love does not envy or boast. Continuing in first Corinthians 13, it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. I want you to think about how unnatural it is to insist on something that's not our own way. I think about Philippians 2. It's one of my favorite verses. It's one that I wish we could just, we ought to probably just put it on the forefront of our uh, minds every day, put it on our mirrors, put it in our car, put it everywhere we go. But is do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, also to the interest of your neighbor. Count your neighbor as more significant than you are. 
Philippians 2 says, this is the attitude of Jesus Christ. And in Christ Jesus, this ought to be our attitude. As we've received and as we're resting in God's love for us, we have the spirit empowered ability to live out Philippians 2. Let's go back to, uh, to 1 Corinthians. I want to read where we've been so far. Love is patient and love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And this is the NIV speaking here. Listen to this translation. It keeps no record of wrongs. Get some of that. You ever been hurt? Have you ever been wronged? Of course you have. And we're going to mess with it. We're going we're to get deep here in just a minute when we start really thinking about this and how we are to even begin to live this out. But I mean, have you ever been wronged? The Bible says love keeps no record of it. Oh my word. But how can that be? We're told that love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, when I think about what love is, I begin with this understanding and theological understanding that God is love, love flows from God. The clearest place I can see it is on the cross of Christ. When it's described, I see it described as love is patient, love is kind. Love isn't things that go against a neighbor. We're we're told that um, that, that love is not, you know, doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable, irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. We see what love is not. And I think when we try to enter into relationships to people and how to love them with 1 Corinthians 13 in mind, with this amazing call to love your neighbor as yourself in mind, things get really messy. And so I ask you last week, I said, hey, if you have any, uh, or I said, if you have any questions, if you want to talk with me, come to my office, email me, whatever. And, and some of you did. Had some incredible conversations. I personally have wrestled uh, with this. And so let's just get real for a minute. What happens if someone has molested you? What, happen if, what happens if somebody's abused you? What happens if someone has come out directly against you to hurt you? What happens if somebody left you, abandoned you? What happens if in your greatest sense of what it means to love and you're seeking it, you say, I I want to love, I want to forgive, I want to move forward in the grace of God, but I don't think I can trust them. I I want to forgive, but I don't think I want them to come to my house and eat dinner. I want to love like God loves, but it's dangerous for my kids to be in this situation. Guys, if you get there, you start looking at that hand and saying, but, but what about this person? But what about, but they did this. If you get there, you're so far along. 
And so I want to attempt to shepherd, but without oversimplifying it. I wanna say for you, please write this down. To love your neighbor as yourself, and I'll start giving some specifics to that. To forgive somebody, to love somebody, does not mean that you give them full access into your life. Loving someone and giving full access is not necessarily equal. Loving someone and having boundaries is healthy, right, and good. To love someone and to pursue someone and to forgive someone does not mean that there are no boundaries. Last week, I was trying to figure out from my perspective, how I even drive down the road without feeling like I'm always the one on the other side of the road passing by in light of the Good Samaritan. Like, how am I not always just driving on past needs that are around me? I mean, if it's not just people that are around me that I'm to love, but it's anyone and everyone, I'm supposed to love them as I love myself. Like, how can I possibly understand this calling, this command, without being just completely overwhelmed? And I want you to know that, listen, it's okay to feel that way. And only God, only God, only God can bear all the burden. Like only God can bear all the burden. Only God can handle it. And for us to be able to enter into a life of loving your neighbor as yourself, it's very possible that we're gonna have to have some clear boundaries. And it's probably the case that we're going to love, but also not give everybody equal access into our life. I said I didn't wanna oversimplify it and here's why. What I mean by that is I think there's some of you that God will give you the faith and the drive and the calling to love people in ways that says no to a boundary that you wrote. It says no to an access level that you had previously given. And, and it opens up a life where you have no wall. You just pursue them. You just love them. You grant access that's not something that you would have ever thought you should or ought to give to that person again. For some of you, I, I think the Lord may lead you in that direction. But for all of us, we need to understand that boundaries and access are not opposed to loving others. Okay? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Are, are you following me? Like, like if somebody leaves you, you don't have to have, if you forgive them, it, it doesn't mean that you say, well, I'm wrong for not wanting to hang out with them at Barnes & Noble this afternoon. If somebody molested you, church, and there, there's a room, there's, there's people all across this room who have been hurt in this way. I'm not saying that you put yourself in danger by getting in the room with them again. My goodness, don't put your kids in a situation. Love protects I believe Jesus had a life with boundaries. Jesus was really close to three people. He hung out a lot with 12 people. He didn't spend equal time with every person. And we can't either. And I think when we look at this, it's not to be overwhelmed. It's to understand that we have, because of Christ's work in our life, we have the spirit-empowered ability to love others as Christ has loved us. And we ought to be on the lookout. We ought to be on the, uh, we ought to be, you know, like proactive in this. We ought to be aware, intentional, all these things. But don't think that this means a life with no boundaries. What love is, 
what love is not. And thirdly, what love does. What love does. You see, in 1 Corinthians 13, he uses this language. He says, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love always protects, it always trusts. And the only one we can always trust, by the way, people, let me hear it, is God himself, okay? The only truly trustworthy person living in that love. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. In thinking about what this looks like, I wanted to point you to two other texts when we think about what love does. One is Ephesians chapter four. And we have this kind of language. Forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Love, what does love do? Love forgives. Love forgives. I think this might be the hardest you know, thing to discuss in the church. But it is the most, it's the most unnatural thing to the flesh, but it is the most natural response to the spirit for us to forgive as we've been forgiven. What does love do? Love forgives. Ephesians 4 also gives the language of what does love do? Love builds up, not breaks down. Love builds up not breaks down. Love speaks words of grace. Turn with me to Galatians chapter five. I'm gonna begin to wrap up. I want you to know that, that love, love brings massive freedom into our lives. Do you know how much freedom comes from the truth that God knows everything about me and yet he loves me? Do you know how much freedom comes from God knows everything about me? He knows my greatest failures and yet he's given me grace. Like God loves me because he loves me. I am his child. I don't have to fear whether or not I will receive the love of God. In fact, the perfect love of God, we're told, cast out fear. Fear is from an entirely different kingdom. It doesn't belong in the kingdom of God. Freedom comes as we are loved by God and we receive it and rest in it. Now, what do we do with that freedom? Well, we are to love one another. Look at how Galatians chapter five states at verse 13 of chapter five. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters in the house, okay? Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is just speaking right into our world here. Receiving and resting in God's love for us gives us a spirit-empowered ability to not gratify the flesh, to not live back and try to pick up our chains and put them back on again, get enchained to bitterness, get enchained to anger, not do those things, but instead to live free as you are. And that's in love to serve, to serve one another. 
to love one another. Empowered by the Spirit of God. What does love do? Love brings freedom. What does love do? Love forgives. What does love do? It endures, it perseveres. What does love do? Love bears burdens. Chapter uh, six, verse two of Galatians. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Church, we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. What was once our greatest failure, what once brought, what one time only brought failure into our life, now we can walk in freedom in. Last statement of the day there on your outline by grace, don't miss grace, by grace, we who once walked in failure, failure to love, now walk in freedom. Don't use your freedom for the flesh. Use your freedom to, in love, serve one another. If there's somebody that you feel like you can't love today, come and pray. If there's someone that you feel like you can't forgive today, come and pray. You don't have to come talk to me. You don't have to tell me. It it could be helpful. But maybe it wouldn't, maybe that's not what you want to do. If if there's somebody that you cannot love and you know that's not what the gospel calls you to, the gospel calls you to love, then come, come and pray. Come and pray. Live in freedom. Love your neighbor as yourself. Father, we thank you for your word.